can I say won't give it up? Ed Masley, uh, welcome to the podcast. Very excited that we could find some time. You're a very busy man. <laughs> well, I try to stay busy, you know. But thanks for th- thanks for uh, having me. It's it's fun. I I have a bunch of questions. I mean, you're not only a musician and a songwriter, and and you lead a band called the Breakup Society, but also your life as a writer, um, a music critic, music commentator, music uh, promoter. In a in a sense, right. I guess there's an extent to which I promote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, upcoming show. I mean, you, you cover upcoming shows in a yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't have a financial investment in concerts like a concert promoter. Right. So, uh, right. Right. Uh, yeah. To be clear, I'm not a concert promoter. Don't talk to Ed <laughs> about promoting your concert or, or setting up a concert. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do see there to be a, I do see a certain promotional aspect of what I do. Like mm-hmm. when I get excited about a band. Yeah, I want to. I mean, that's why I got into music journalism is I wanted to share the joy I felt from the music that I love. And yeah. so, so yeah, I mean, I've been promoting the Beatles since I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I just told you I was listening to the Breakup Society, and the first record. I'm sorry, the first song off your latest record. I definitely heard like some Strawberry Fields, like the outro, the strings. Oh yeah, you Thank know. You. So I could definitely. I could tell uh, that Beatles were an influence for you musically, and obviously, I know that you're a Kinks fanatic. Yeah, fanatic and, is a good word. <laughs> <laughs> but let's um, let's go back. I know that you grew up in on the East Coast in Pennsylvania. Yes, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's like so we're not on the coast. Yeah, I got to drive like seven hours to get to the coast. It's a big state. It's a sneaky. It is big a big state. state yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I went to school across the state in Philadelphia, and it was really far away. Yeah, but Pittsburgh is one of those cities that I feel like maybe similar or akin to like Detroit, um, kind of old, old mill town, steel mill town that is seeing a little bit of a revitalization. Is that is that yes, true? That is all true. Yeah. So that's that's like one of the last you know cities in the country that I really want to go visit and, and get my hands dirty in that town a little bit yeah it was easier to get your hands dirty when the steel mills were operating <laughs> I'll tell you that um, can you share with me just some early musical memories what got you inspired if it was a record or maybe your first concert or what was playing you know in the car when you were going to school that, that, that kind of got you interested in music and made you listen in a different way yeah, you know, I was I was around eight years old when uh, a lot of the stuff you were hearing on the radio was like story songs, but like kind of not critically acclaimed story songs. Mm. <laughs> Things like Billy Don't Be a Hero. Whoa. And that was my first favorite song, and it's the first 45 I bought. Huh. Who, I, who was the artist? Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. Was it like a local situation, like a local band, or no? It was a number one hit. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. It topped that Hot 100 in '74. Uh, wow. The marching band came down along Main Street. The soldier blues fell in behind. I looked across and there I saw Billy waiting to go and join the line. And with the head upon his shoulder. So, yeah, you know, there were things like Seasons in the Sun and The Night Chicago Died. And there were all these songs that are seen as kind of corny, but I was eight. Yeah. And, like, these songs had, like, really strong pop hooks. And they all told a story, and they were all telling different stories. So, like... As it went from song to song, you were just taken to these different little worlds on the radio. And I was fascinated. And I just got really into it um, and started buying records. But, uh, you know, I don't know that I would have devoted my entire life to music based on Seasons in the Sun. You know, Uh, what really made a huge impact was, uh, I think it was was probably... uh, sixth or seventh grade i was at my cousin's house for thanksgiving dinner and after dinner my cousins and i went upstairs and uh this this tv station in pittsburgh was playing the movie help Ah. and i knew paul mccartney because he sang 
Uncle Albert uh, Admiral Halsey and stuff like that. <laughs> he was in Wings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I was smitten. You yeah. know, I was like blown away by this Beatles band. Um, and in particular, John Lennon. Huh. Um, I just gravitated to John right away. And I decided I wanted to play guitar. Um, and at the time, I was getting in so much trouble at school. So much trouble. Uh, I was in the principal's office all the time. <laughs> I'm, what grade was I in? I think when I was in second grade, they made me go back to first grade for a day because I was <laughs> such an ass. <laughs> I've never heard that before. It was just a punishment. Right, you know what I mean? Right. It was a Catholic school. Okay. okay. When they weren't beating you. Right. Like I had, in first, first grade, the one nun beat me over the head with my own book bag. Oh, sounds um, like a real sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. Sister Robert Mary. I remember her. I remember her. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in second grade, I got sent back to first grade for a day. Um, and uh, so I was really bad. So talking my parents into pursuing a passion that would give me something to do was kind of an easy sell. Uh Like you wouldn't think that like your punishment for being an aspiring juvenile delinquent would be that your parents would get you guitar lessons. Right. Right. Exactly. But they did. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I started playing guitar in like the seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at that point were you, I mean, were you still, heavy into the Beatles or, I mean, cause seventh grade is like the time in your life when you start to discover your quote unquote music, you know, like the music that maybe separates you from your parents or your siblings and you start, it's like, no, this is my music. I, I just think about my life, like seventh, eighth, ninth grade when grunge appears and it encapsulated everything that was me and not my parents or not yeah. my brothers, you know, was, was that happening for you? Well, you know, my parents were not rockers. My parents are of the pre-rock era. Okay. Although my mom liked the Everly Brothers. She did. Wonderful. Um, but like, you know, they, they, they listened to stuff like how much is that doggy in the window and stuff. Got you. <laughs> they weren't listening to so like Revolution. Late, late, late 50s? Early yeah. 60s? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, like real pop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Fabricated, you know, Brill Building in New York written for pop stars music. Yeah. Okay. Not, not... Rock, rock and roll. The, the, or... you know, I mean, they knew who Elvis was and they knew who the Beatles were. My dad said, their records are a little tinny. Was, wow. Tinny. I don't. <laughs> He's into the mix. You know, right? who mastered this? <laughs> yeah, I said, a little too much treble on these Beatles records. Can we get a little bit of that bumping bass? That's funny. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I got heavily into the um, British invasion mm-hmm. and Dylan mm. through the Beatles. Mm-hmm. Like I would read stuff about the Beatles. And that would send me looking for the people I was reading about in the Beatles books. So Bob Dylan, the Kinks, the St- the Stones, the Who. Mm-hmm. And I just became obsessed with that. And as I got to, got into late grade school, high school, punk and new wave were happening. And those musics all made so much sense together to me mm. that that combination became my music. Mm. Um, because, I mean... The Ramones, uh, The Clash, Elvis Costello, Mm. they were really just playing the kind of stuff the British Invasion bands were playing, but playing it too fast, Hmm. you know, and Hmm. and playing a little louder and with a little bit more aggression. But Hmm. it's all very rooted in the song craft of the 60s. So it all made sense to me, like those two eras. So like I, I spent the 80s obsessing over the 60s and punk and new wave. Right. And, and, and any particular bands that really spoke to you that met in the intersection of those two, like, or, or is there a band that you would describe as that's the perfect intersection of these two sounds and approaches and song craft. And well, I think Elvis Costello was the perfect intersection of it yeah. on his early records. And then he decided to move away from that and like, do different sounds on each record, but then he'd come back to it. You know, he'd always come back to it once in a while. So yeah, yeah. he was really good at that. So he became, Elvis Costello and the Kinks became like, I guess when you asked my music, that became yeah. like, cause I couldn't go see the Beatles. Right. Right. But I got to see the Kinks and I got to see Elvis Costello. And, right. and that was like, you know, those were like life changing moments for me. 
and and when you discover or you you know you go down the rabbit hole you're reading about the beatles and they're hipping you to these other artists are you then just going to the record store buying a 45 or an lp and bringing it home and obsessing over it and reading the liner notes oh yeah you know yeah all of it yeah you know um and it was just like a and there when i when i was in high school there was a used record store between my bus stop and the high school so like I would Perfect. buy anything that looked like it might be interesting if it was a dollar. Mm-hmm. So I was picking up all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if there were people with like striped shirts and skinny ties, I was like, I bet that's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, that how, looks like I like it. How could that not be good? <laughs> Guys wearing a vintage jacket and a skinny tie. Right. He's got to be doing stuff that sounds at least a little like Elvis Costello. <laughs> Uh, and and I'm assuming you're you know you're going to shows in Pittsburgh and and maybe ha- maybe you have your own garage band and starting to play out or was it you know was it mainly just st- something that you kind of did as a hobby on the outside of what your quote unquote day gig was? Um, I was playing in bands starting in high school, playing um, in clubs starting in probably late high school. Maybe mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah I was playing. I was there was this punk club called the Electric Banana that I played several times before I went away to college. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that band that you were in? Uh, my first band was called Take One, which is a horrible name. Huh. But I was like, oh, there's free advertising on buses that says Take One with all the little ah, things. Oh, yeah, there you go. You know, that's what passed for clever at right, the time. Right, right. <laughs> and my lyrics... Wordplay. My, my lyrics at the time weren't much better. <laughs> but they did get better. Yeah. Um, and when, when did the idea of journalism kind of come across your desk? Well, I was writing for the high school newspaper, you know, and I would do like record reviews. Mm. Um, and they were really like snarky. They were either worshipful mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, over-exaggerating what was great about the stuff that I loved, or they were snarky takedowns of sacred cows. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have a middle setting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i definitely want to talk about this kind of in general but you know the difference between uh, let's say a critic a music critic or a music writer and is there a different approach for either in 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 another in other words you know i've i've had some of my music reviewed uh positively and negatively i find listen i'm cool with however you feel about it but if you don't enjoy the music, that's one thing. You can at least potentially find things that are done well, right? And as a yeah, and as a writer, isn't that the job to say, listen, <clears throat> my taste aside, my, my personal taste aside, if I'm to, to describe this music to someone, I have a different job than to, than just criticizing it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, you know, there was a very snarky, um, like funny, mean side of music journalism that I was reading growing up, like Cream Magazine, Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was the cat out of Britain? Um, I'm spacing on his name, and I'll remember it later. But I know, I, yes, I know what you're saying. Like, they can be snarky. They can be not just not just critical or, or observant it, it's something else yeah and it, you know when you're a kid and you're reading that stuff and it's not about you you know right. and you right. don't know these artists so you don't know they're human beings with feelings right and you read it and you you chuckle about it and you think oh that's hilarious um i remember and you can't even like you couldn't say this for a number of reasons now but there was this review in cream magazine of a and I, I might be remembering it slightly wrong, but it was a review of a Styx DVD. And it just was this glowing, 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 ridiculously glowing review. And the last sentence was, by the way, I'm mentally retarded. <laughs> Jesus. Right? <laughs> right? Good God. It, 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 to be clear, I am not advocating using that word right. in the way they used it. Right. Um, yeah. But as a dumb kid, right. I thought that was funny. Right. Um, and it, so it was just mean. And so when I started doing, um, reviews, I was mean and snarky and I thought I was funny. And, uh, I did that for many years and it, it, it started really 
draining me. It, hmm. it felt toxic, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I was like putting all this hate out there in the world mm. just for a laugh, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, there's this idea that negative reviews are somehow more honest, right? Than positive reviews. And I have found that rarely to be the case, huh? you know? Right. Um, and so at a certain point I developed a philosophy that's closer to what you were saying, which is when I go to review a concert, I'm reviewing that concert on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Like, right. What was this meant to be? Right. Like, how was this presented to the people who like this? Right. Right. You know, like, what does it matter if I'm not a fan? Right. Like, who cares really? Like, have you ever read a negative review of something you loved and thought, oh, wow, I didn't realize I should stop loving that. Right. And then stop. Lo- no, no, right. no one has ever changed anyone's mind. Right. With a negative review. Right. Right. You know, no one is ever going to make you not like your favorite band because they wrote something pithy about how bad they are. Right. That doesn't happen. Yeah. So I just, now when I review a concert, I just, I'm looking at like, well, why is this resonating with all these people and how do I describe the things that made it resonate? Right. So that's, but I, I don't think a ton of people subscribe to that mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm. I do think that there's been a movement, what's it called? Poptimism mm. where, um, there's now more of an embrace of popular music. Like, um, one of the things that critics were notorious for was always picking on the most popular bands, right? Always trashing the Eagles or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, my wife and I were talking about that the other night because I was playing uh, I was playing the Hotel California album and she said that song just never gets old and I was like are you serious and she was like yeah why wouldn't they be serious and I was like well because that's the kind of thing that people say when they're being shitty right or, or sarcastic can I say, can yeah. I say that on you here? can curse up and down um, you know and I was like and I didn't think she hated the Eagles but like it's weird that like they became this band that everyone just hate uh, they were the punching bag i mean and the the punchline of every shitty band joke or whatever and the thing is like well they're not very likable people and it's like well if, if you don't think don hanley is likable i get that maybe but like is dylan likable right right and you're okay with dylan right you know right it, <laughs> is john lennon likable right I, and i love john lennon but i don't like him right Right. Right. (laughs) You know, he's not a nice person. Right. Right. Um, There's a lot of unlikable people. So why does like the the excuse that, well, you know, they seem like such jerks. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, a lot lot of art is made by people who are are jerks. Right. Right. Um, That's why they have so much time to work on their art because no one wants to be around them. Yeah, they're not hanging out with, yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so the decision to go to Temple and study journalism was was it was the the seed was planted in in high school and instead of say going to get a music degree or whatever that's what i wanted to do oh yeah yeah my parents were like no like we got you the guitar but that's where it ends yeah they were like that's where the funny business ends well the 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 offset thing in working class places such as where i grew up is you need to get something to fall back on Mm -hmm. so um and my dad was a steel worker, so there was a lot of like, you know, hardworking people trying to make the most of their lives, and like the idea that you would want to be a starving artist. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, no, I'm fine. I'll just go live off the land and try to do music. You know, woo. Right. Right. <laughs> they were like, no, 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 no. Right. Um, and so I liked writing, and. Uh, I knew that I had accumulated all this otherwise useless knowledge about pop music. And I was like, well, I can write and I'm going to be listening to stuff and reading stuff about music anyway. Like, why don't I try to do music journalism? So did you, did you pitch music journalism or did you just tell your folks, listen, I'm just going to go to, I'm going to go to temple and I'm going to, learn journalism not trying to say exactly you yeah know what I, mean? I, I didn't say you music. Didn't say, <laughs> no, i did not say music journalism no somehow i figured that yeah so but but i assume i mean you know i assume you you get there and you know you obviously take to to the curriculum and 
you start a band probably and and writing and and so it it was music was still a passion for you at that time as well oh yeah i mean it's always been there's never been a point at which that wasn't my main thing right you know like from from the time i was eight from the time i bought that billy don't be a hero record you know it's always been like my main thing yeah i've had side things like you know little league i like little league i liked wiffle ball um you know oh comic books i liked comic books okay yeah yeah but uh it was never and i mean i would draw comic books but it was never like a life pursuit you know what i mean right um there was a time and i maybe this was just a line uh i grew up in a little town in massachusetts and i loved to draw i wasn't very good at it but there was a time when I don't think I was old enough to go to these college dances. There's an all-women's college in my little town in Massachusetts. Yeah. Which, by the way, thanks, Mom and Dad. That was an awesome choice. Um, but I think one, one of the lines for like a, a period of time when, when one of these college ladies would say, well, what are you studying? Because they assumed that I was going to college. And uh, I would say, I, I want to be an animator. I want to I wanna oh, yeah. be a cartoon artist uh-huh. and looking back on it now i was like i should have said i'm pre-med or whatever you know but i was like oh, i had a strange brain <laughs> but I, I i shared a fascination with with that with with specifically like cartoon art and not, maybe not comic books necessarily the format but the medium and yeah. the style of it i was really into it for like a hot minute yeah, I, I was I was a, a superhero guy. Yeah, uh, Marvel comics was okay. my, my thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what, when do you move to Arizona? I moved here in two thousand six. Okay, yeah, right on. And what was the deci- What was that decision all about? My wife got a job at the Arizona Republic as a design director for the the design of the paper. Cool for the features department, and uh, it was going to be a big career change for her. It was going to put her on this track to, to a much better career. Mm-hmm. And all I was ever going to do was be a music critic who played in a band. So mm-hmm. I, I was like, well, I'm not going to stand in your way. I'm like, yeah, you know, like, and, and I had, uh, I had come here to record a couple breakup society albums with oh. my, with my friend, Bob Hogue. Bob Hogue, yeah. I I was gonna I was gonna put money on it that those records were made at Flying Blanket. They were. They yeah. were. You can hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like I've never recorded there. I've never met Bob Hogue. I've heard the records that he's made, and you can hear he has a thing. He you does. Know what I mean? Yeah. There's yeah. an aesthetic. There's a something about it. I was I was gonna ask you, but I was like, I, it's gotta be Flying Blanket. You know, I met. Uh, Bob at a Suzanne Vega concert in Pittsburgh. I think he was still a teenager at the time. Jesus. And he would carry around a little lunchbox all the time. Like, a, <laughs> like I forget, some TV show or something, maybe Herbie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he, I told him I was looking for a drummer, and, and he, I, I, he gave me his phone number, and I said, I play drums in big letters with, with, with his name and number. And, and so I called him, and he joined an early band of mine called the Frampton Brothers. Hmm. And uh, he played with us for a little while, then he moved out here. Um, and then with that band, we broke up and decided to make a reunion record a, f- a few months later because <laughs> we're just goofballs. And we, we were like, well... Since it's just me and the guitar player, we can have any former band member or anyone in the world mm-hmm. play drums on this record, and we wanted Bob. That's awesome. So he flew out to Pittsburgh and learned the songs, and then we drove the van out to Seattle to record with uh, this guy named Conrad Uno, who had done uh, records for this band I loved in the uh, 80s and 90s called The Young Fresh Fellows. Um, who the guy is now in a band called the Minus Five. Scott McCoy is in a band now called the Minus Five with Peter Buck and and uh, oh, okay, yes yeah, so he he became like the auxiliary guy in REM for like most of the latter half of their career. Wow. Um, and this Scott guy was in Seattle with in a studio. He he appears on some of our records. Got it. Uh, and he semi engineered one of them, 
But uh, the the guy who produced Scott Conrad Uno was the guy we gotcha. went to to uh, record with. Um, he he did some Mud Honey records, the okay. po- the Posies. He did the Posies rec- okay. early records. So uh, so yeah, we went to Seattle and recorded this album with Bob. And then everything I've done since that has been recorded at Flying Blanket with Bob. And and what so, year did you go out to Seattle to do this? I want to say that was probably um, 98. Okay. 98. Um, okay, so kind of a little post-grunge, although not completely forgotten at that point. I mean, Seattle was the spot to be. Yeah. Say, what, 90 to the mid to late 90s. So I'm sure, you know, as a young person, the opportunity to drive. I mean, that's the dream. That's the dream. Oh, yeah. As, as a as a young musician to pile in the van, we're driving across the country to make a record in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, that must've felt, you must've felt like a God or a demigod. Ah, it felt great. I mean, we had, we had worked there before we had worked with Carter before it was like 1991. I think we, uh, or yeah, it was probably 91. We, uh, we played a show in Pittsburgh with the posies and befriended them. And, we, they were like, you should, if you're ever out in Seattle, you should play with us. And I, I was like, all right, when? Tomorrow? When? So we, Tuesday? <laughs> we booked a tour. Uh-huh. And you can't see my air quotes, but those were <laughs> definite air quotes. We booked a tour around playing with the Posies at this all-ages show wow. in uh, Seattle. And What uh, was the club? Do you remember? It was called the OK Hotel. And actually, there's a book about the, piano, uh, the Seattle um, rock scene called Loser. And there's a flyer from that show in the book. No way. And it says Frampton Brothers on it. And I'm like, wow. That's awesome. We're in this book about Seattle. But it was so crazy. Like, we were not that great. Um, And we got on stage, and it was this sold-out show. And people went nuts. There was so much energy in the room, so much electricity. And I was like, this is the place to be. I want to move here. And this is like... You know, and then of course Nirvana exploded and Seattle became the center of the universe. But, yeah. but at the moment I was like, we're in Seattle. That's where the young fresh fellows are from. <laughs> <laughs> Pearl who? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you could totally just, Crazy. If, if that was how they responded to us, yeah. my God, you could see how that's that kind of electricity could nurture bands like Pearl Jam yeah. and Nirvana and Soundgarden Crazy. to become these like rock gods. I mean, Kurt Cobain didn't want to be a rock god. He was a reluctant rock god. Yes, for sure. But Eddie Vedder and, and, and Chris Cornell definitely embraced that in those days. Yeah. Um, and you could see how they did because if like when you're playing, everyone is going nuts, it's very easy, easy to have that kind of swagger and that kind of... You kind of get swept up in it a little bit. Yeah. It's know. like charisma by proxy almost right right (laughs) you know yeah did you wake up this morning ready to take on your day or did you find yourself hitting the snooze button a couple of times a restful night's sleep can help you get back in the swing of things and Salentium's proprietary blend of ingredients helps you sleep better snore less wake rested and enjoy your day Salentium Plus available on our website www.silentiumplus.com That's www.silentiumplus.com And here's a special offer just for our podcast listeners. Silentium is offering a buy one, get one half off. Just use the promo code BRIAN when you're checking out. Silentium. Sleep better, snore less, wake rested. I didn't realize that the breakup society goes back a ways. Is that so? But this is still the Framden brothers. That was still the Frampton brothers. The, the breakup society. Well, the first breakup society album was recorded in um, Mesa at flying blanket with Bob. And the idea was that the Frampton brothers had broken up again. And this time for real, it seemed for real. Yeah. And, I asked the guitar player who was like my best friend if he wanted to play on my solo record. So, and then we grabbed a uh, Frampton Brothers bass player. So three Frampton Brothers drove to uh, 
to Phoenix, Mesa, yeah. to Mesa to record with former Frampton brother Bob Hope. <laughs> A record that wasn't going to be a Frampton Brothers record. Right. And then, oh, yeah, we hadn't broken up yet. We broke up during the making of that solo record. That's convenient. And that's where the name The Breakup Society came from. Because ah. I'd broken up while making it. And I didn't want to release it as Ed Masley because I thought that, like, that implies a certain kind of, like, uh, to me, like, a record released by a name sounds like it should be, like, a real singer-songwriter record. Yeah. I wanted it to... St- I want it to sound like a band. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I need a name for my solo record. And then once I finished it, I was like, now I need to put a breakup society together so we can promote this record. Right. Right. <laughs> so I put this band together in Pittsburgh called the breakup society with guys who aren't on that record. Huh. And we started playing a lot and we got really popular. We got, we were more popular than the Frampton brothers. Were. This is late nineties and this early two thousands. Yeah, it was kind of, yeah, it was like turn of the, we are turn of, turn of the century band. Yeah, um, right, right, right. But, uh, and then that lineup came out to record the second Breakup Society album with Bob. Got you. Um, but then when I moved here, my idea was like, well, I'll just have a West Coast branch and an East Coast branch of the band. And then wherever I am, we'll just play. But that didn't work out for long with the guys in Pittsburgh. There yeah. was... I don't know. I think there was like a a little bit of resentment from at least one of the guys. And then another guy got a job in Texas and it was like, then I would have to plan my trips to Pittsburgh to coincide with his trips to Pittsburgh. And no, it's too much. And I like, when I came home the first time to do a show, I I like sent them demos of like songs. I was like, we can learn all these new songs. And they were like, why don't we play the songs that people know? (laughs) And I was like, because I want to move forward. Right. Right. <laughs> because time moves on, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 So, so that, so, you know, after moving out here in 2006 and do you get a job at, at the new times or the, sorry, the, the Republic immediately, or were you like, no, I'm going to make this band thing really work for me. Um, it's been a long time since I was going to make this band thing really work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I feel too much of a commitment to all the hard work that my wife puts into making life work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't want to just to, to be, go all in into music. You mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I, she, she, she makes life work, you know, with her job and provides a nice living for the members of her family. And, and, <laughs> and I don't want to be like some slacker that may or may not, turn this into a living a so money making machine yeah so i i started i for the first year i was here i was freelancing for mm. a lot of people i was I, I, there was new times and there was the republic but then i was also freelancing for a couple smaller national things mm-hmm. nothing major but you know it, it had gotten to the point where i was making a decent enough uh amount of money freelance that when the Arizona Republic offered me a part-time job. I was like, it's the same amount of mm. money. Mm-hmm. But the one has security right, and the other doesn't. So I, I started there yeah. um, um, part-time yeah. as a features writer yeah, um, and just gradually worked my way over to music. There were, there were two of us for a while, Larry Rogers. He's really good. Um, I definitely, I've definitely hit Larry before, like what early, like 20 years ago, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Larry's a great guy. He's a really nice guy. Is he still there? No, yeah. no, he, he retired. No. But, uh, yeah, for a while, I mean, the paper was flush enough that like it was cool to have two music writers. Right. Wow. Yeah. In fact, they, there was a point where they had three. Uh, there was a one guy whose job was only to write about, um, local music. Which to me is amazing. That is amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I would love for that to be my job. Right. You know? Because um, I, I feel like, to me, the, the idea of a local newspaper is is kind of to reflect the culture of the city in which the paper is based. A thousand percent. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I would like, like, if, if I ran the zoo, the idea, the idea would be if you wanted to know what music culture was all about in 2023, you could just go to the Arizona Republic. Right. And, and there it would be. Right. Right. But the realities are the, 
we, I can't do that. Right. You know, um, let's, um, get, let's, let's fast forward a little bit to you released another breakup society record in 2020. Yeah. Soft released. Right. Right. <laughs> so that, that kind of was my question. Like, did it happen before the pandemic? Did it like, would you consider it a pandemic project? Were you able to kind of tour on it or promote it? I mean, so much has changed in the last 20 years, you know, in the music industry. So, you know, are you, did you even print CDs? Did you do a CD release show? We, like we did not, we, we did not do any of the traditional stuff. Yeah. We like put it on Bandcamp and Spotify right. and stuff right. like that. And, uh, it had already been recorded. And when the pandemic in, in like, the early days of the pandemic when everything was just sad and weird mm -hmm. and everything. And I was like, man, I've got this record that I made that I'm really proud of. Like, why don't we put that out there and give people something to listen to mm -hmm. in retrospect? That was foolish. Really? Well, now it's going to be harder to get someone to put that out because we have new songs that I want to record. And it's like, well, we never like really officially released, right. <laughs> released the last one. Right. Like there were, there, there was like one review somewhere, you know, but is that, I mean, is that how you define, um, is that how you define releasing something by, by getting reviews? I mean, I feel like that, that's also kind that ship has also kind of sailed on, on some level or no. I mean, you're, you, you straddle both industries. So, you know, I'm sure you have a, a, an opinion on it. Oh, um, I think, I don't think record reviews sell records the way they used to, because now if you read a record review, you're still going to go taste test it yourself. Right. You know, um, you're, you're not going to immediately buy it. You're going to go see if this critic knew what he was talking about and listen to it. And then you're going to make your own decision, which is fine. I'm all about it. But like, I don't even have anyone leading people there. And plus it just feels like we did the album a disservice by not releasing releasing it so you know in, in the sense that you know printing cds and doing a, a cd release show or or putting some shows together doing a little arizona tour or whatever southern california um well we didn't have that as an option right so many of those records i had one as well that came out in february of 2020 and we had all these grand plans to go on tour and create this video content because that's we're finding that that is really helpful um to share on social media and yada 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 so I, I was just curious if, you know, you, you release this thing kind of into the ether and, and hope that it meets the people that need to hear it. Um, but looking back, you know, do you see yourself kind of re-energizing that record and, and re rehearsing up that record and, and going out and doing shows on that record and almost promoting a 2.0 release kind of situation? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to the label that put out the first three Breakup Society records about, like, is there some way we can just put this out on your label? Uh -huh. And so there have been talks about that. Yeah. Um, what is the label? It's called Get Hip Records. It's a, it's like a, primarily a garage rock record uh, label out of Pittsburgh. Cool. Um, and they've got really good inter like international distribution. And um, it's run by uh, the leader of a band called The Cynics, who were like... Uh, a really big garage revival band in the eighties and nineties. And they like, they still go to Europe and tour all the time. They're huge over there. Love that. Um, that's what I want. And, and he's like a really good supportive guy. And I was like, you know, when we recorded the record, like I, I was like, well, maybe we, we should just try doing this one ourselves. Um, and so we went and recorded it and then like kind of sat on it for a while. And it's like, I realized I was so busy with my job that I was never really going to try to get anyone to put it out. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. the pandemic happened and I was like, screw it. Just put it on Bandcamp." Right. But, but I mean, even like define for me, quote unquote, putting it out, like, um, you mean like putting it in record stores? Uh, you know, well, yeah, like you can't, the only place you can purchase the record is on Bandcamp as right. a digital right. download. Got you. You know, right. which is not, I mean, I don't care about making my money back off of it or anything, but right. like I, there were like songs on there that are really important to me. And I, I wish that people 
more people had heard them. Yeah. You know? And, and so it's more about getting the songs out there than it is about having a successful record. And, and what do you think that even looks like? I mean, how, how do you envision, I mean, if, if kind of radio isn't promoting new artists, you know, I'm finding that really the only time you can make any money and, and get in front of people is if you go on tour, you know, how, how, like in an ideal world, what would that release have looked like for you? Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think uh, videos are important. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, God, I, you know, there was a song on our previous album, uh, that I co-wrote with John Wesley Harding Hmm. and, uh, he did a version on one of his albums and we did a version on our album. And I really thought it sounded like a great, great, great song for a soundtrack. Mm. And I was like, man, this is, this could really do something for us if we could get this, you know, and I know we have that label here, Fervor Records yeah. that do that. Yeah. Um, but I've never approached them about it hmm. because it just feels weird to approach them because hmm. I write about them. <laughs> right. You know, but I don't write about them because I want them to do something for me. I write about them right. because they do great stuff. And, and do you, so fi- it's complicated. Yeah. Do you find that, 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 that having a foot in the musician music uh, world and kind of the, the journalism side of the, of the scene, do you find that they sometimes present these obstacles that, Oh yeah, like, totally. I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't overstep this, or it's, I. It's a dumb know. thing to do. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's it's not a good. Yeah, that that would get dicey, uh, right? I yeah, can just it's weird. Imagine. Well, like you know, if a if a friend's band is releasing an album, the last band they're going to put on their record release show is us because it's like, right. well, you automatically aren't getting written about in the Arizona Republic now. Ah. Because I can't write about a show I'm playing. Oh, God. That sucks a little bit. It sucks a lot. Because <laughs> you kind of, you know, I would almost think that, like, they're not mutually exclusive, you know? like No, they're not. They're not. But it's hard to ex- celebrate both it, things all the time. It, celebrate everything. It's hard to... Um, it's hard to explain that to people like, especially, you know, people view the media in such a dim light right now mm-hmm. that they're looking for any reason to say, aha, nepotism or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, dude, I'm not going to make a million dollars opening for my friend's band at the, uh, Yucca Tap Room right. or, or, you know, uh, the Chopper Johns. We're not going right. to make a million dollars that night. Right. I'm right. not going to throw away my journalistic career <laughs> on the opportunity to like play for the door at a record release show <laughs> with four other bands and everyone splitting the door. Right. Oh. Like it's clearly not right. something that there would be any incentive for me to do anything shady, but it, it, it's I mean, the appearance of shadiness right, right. that matters more than the actual shadiness. So even right. though there could be no shadiness, but but at the same time, I get that I get that 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 some people could say, oh, you're just doing this to get this visibility and blah blah blah. But I feel like your your musician's heart informs how you are how you um, informs your writing as a, as a journalist, right? So without having that experience as a musician to understand kind of the the nuts and bolts of being a musician and and shows and and writing music and promoting music like that that experience informs you as a journalist so why why can't why can't you as your brand ed masley i'm both and i do both and i celebrate them both and you know like i don't know i see that as a i see that as a positive and not a not a negative yeah i mean i mean i would like to believe that more people saw it that way. Yeah. And I'm sure some people do. Yeah. Um, but you, you just have to, I mean, appearances are very important. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, I, and you're, I guess, expected to be completely a thousand percent objective all the time. Right. On some level. Well, I mean, is there objectivity in music? I mean, isn't it all subjective? Well, and that, and that kind of, that kind of, uh, addresses, you know, the music critic and the, the, the music journalist that, as you say, can, can go to a show that, you know, maybe I don't love this artist, but I can tell you about it in a way 
um, that is objective. I mean, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I, I've, I spent, first I spent years doing the opposite of that. Right, right. And then I spent years working really hard at trying to figure out to do, do it the way I do it now. Yeah. I, I, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes, yeah. um, you know, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a commitment to just trying to be as fair as humanly possible. I don't see why being as fair as humanly possible isn't something that people would just celebrate. Yeah. Although I do think people, I think people really appreciate my, my journalism here. I, I mean, I, I do, I do, I do feel appreciated. I, I feel like, I mean, I think a lot of people who know me from how I write in Arizona would be shocked <laughs> by how I wrote in Pittsburgh. Oh, really? Well, it's you, just night and day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Um, yeah, I think maybe like the first review I ever did, concert review I ever did for a daily paper was a Millie Vanilli concert. Wow. And so it was like... Talk a, about a punching bag. Yes. Right? So like I wrote this um, review of Millie Vanilli that everyone on every radio station was talking about the next day, reading it out loud. Oh, my. Mispronouncing my last name. Um, How could they possibly do that? Maisley. Maisley? Yeah. It was a hard A. Interesting. Yeah, they were calling me Maisley. But, like, suddenly I was, like, you know, a minor local celebrity Mm -hmm. for for being a jerk. And I often think, like, what if the first show they had sent me to was Elvis Costello? Oh, yeah, right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like completely different scenario. I might have been like and, and, and maybe people would have liked that and then I'd have been like, Oh wow. Yeah, he's the cheery guy. He's the he's the lover of music. Yeah. He's, yeah. But like, you know, I'd go to bars and people would buy me drinks because of some mean thing I said about some classic rock act. Wow. And it's like it gets into your head. Yeah. Right. And then after a while all that's in your head anymore is the guilt. Uh, especially after 12 years of Catholic school. Right. You know, yeah. and I, I just started feeling like, well, I don't want to be this horrible person. Like I'm pretending to be a horrible person. Right. Right. Like I'm not a horrible person on the, the inside other than my willingness to play a horrible person on the outside. Right. Um, and I think a real turning point for me was I had written this really mean review of Bob Seger, really mean review of Bob Seger for no other reason than I walked in and I was like, yeah, what am I going to write about? <laughs> uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And uh, this dude called me at work the next day and he introduced himself. His name was Chris Bola. And he said, uh, next time Bob Seger comes to town, you're coming to me. You're coming with me and you're going to learn what it's like to be a Bob Seger fan. So Bob Seger announced another concert. And I was like, I'm going to call this guy huh. and I'm going to go see Bob Seger with him. With like a super fan. With this Bob Seger super fan. Yeah. So like I went to meet this guy in a parking lot somewhere and he pulls up and he's like, he's got his wife with him. And I had arranged for us to get front row seats to Bob Seger. So we're in the front row and this guy is losing his mind. He's like crying at certain points in the concert because it means so much to him. And uh, midway through the show, the guy from the venue came out and he was like, we're getting you guys backstage. Mind blown so i got this guy backstage to meet his idol and bob seeger oh oh the second we walked in uh he like was introduced as this bob seeger super fan and bob seeger's hey nice to meet and he shook his hand and everything and then this chris bola guy goes you won't believe the things he wrote about you last time (laughs) but bob seeger already knew uh and he was so gracious huh. and so kind. And, you know, his uh, Bob Seger's wife or girlfriend, whoever she was, was like, uh, um, how old are you? And I told her, and she was like, well, no wonder you don't like him or, or something uh, like that. Interesting. And it's like, well, actually, I grew up at a time when I, I, I actually did like Bob Seger. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I remember really liking Betty Lou's getting out tonight. But, uh...
so he was just so great to me. And yeah. this fan was so watching the concert through his eyes, I was like, why am I being like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, and then you know what? The next thing that happened, it was shortly after this, Village Voice wrote a review of an Elvis Costello album. And the first line was, Elvis Costello is such an asshole. <laughs> and I remember I threw the paper and I was like, who would write that sort of thing? Yeah. And then I was like, oh, oh, shit. Wait. oh, I write that sort of thing. Right. And right. that was like a real come to Jesus moment for me. Um, and I just decided I, I had to stop. I had to stop. I wasn't enjoying doing that kind of journalism anymore. Yeah. Um, it wasn't fun anymore. So, it, I mean, it's, it really sounds like the move to Arizona was almost like the, the phase two, the 2.0 journalist opportunity to, to, to be a new, to, to do a new thing and have a new approach. Right. And, and, and yeah. stop harping on the negative or bashing for no good reason. And I mean, I, I had already started changing the way I wrote in, in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. um, but people didn't get it. Like they didn't, mm-hmm. they, I mean, they, they wanted were, the old Ed. Well, no, but I, I'm no, no, not that, but they were still, they were unforgiving is what I'm saying. I see. The people who hated me because of the stuff I wrote, they were like still citing reviews from like eight years earlier. And yeah. I was like, but, but I don't write that way anymore. Huh? You know, but I'm not that guy anymore. That's who I was in my, that's who I was playing in my twenties, you right. know, and right. I'm in my thirties now and I'm not writing like that anymore right that's not who i am and i couldn't re-educate them right but here i got a fresh start yeah and i was i decided to make the most of it and just like not be that guy at all yeah you you have access i mean as as a musician i i read your pieces and and think you know i you can sense the joy in a lot of you know I I knew that you loved the Kinks and I knew that you loved Elvis Costello just based on on your writing and and you have access to your heroes, which has it ever I'm sure it's wonderful and awesome to be able to ask them questions and and really dig into it. Um, have there ever been moments where it kind of backfired and you're like, man, I I really had high hopes that this conversation was going to be awesome, and it. Really wasn't, and now I'm bummed. I I, I interviewed Ringo once. Wow! And uh, I had been trying to get this Ringo interview for weeks, and finally my editor gave up, and he ran a Wire story interview with Ringo. And the day the story ran, Ringo's publicist called and said Ringo was available. And my editor was like, "We already ran a story," and I was like, "What if I write a completely different story?" Yeah, he's like, "What are you gonna write?" I was like, "What if it only talk? I only talk to Ringo about drumming." So, I did this interview with Ringo Starr where wow. all we talked about was drumming. And at a certain point, I said, um, "So, I was hoping we could get your uh, take on like the drummers of the British invasion." So he said these really nice things about Charlie Watts. Sure. Said very nice things about Keith Moon. Yeah, they were they were homies. Yeah. He said nice things about John Bonham, who is not a British Invasion drummer, but mm-hmm. never mind. Right, right. And then I said, what about Mick Avery, the Kinks drummer? And he goes, no. Why would I think Mick Avery? And I was like... It was the most dismissive <laughs> no I had ever heard. It was this guttural no that never ended. And I was like, Ringo, come, come on, on, man. I clearly asked you because I like him. Peace and love. I thought that was your whole thing, motherfucker. Peace and love. <laughs> peace. There was no peace or love in that answer. But yeah, so so Ringo Starr was mean about the Kinks drummer to me. And we're sour about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I still love Ringo. I do love Ringo. He's a great drummer. Oh, incredible. I mean, it's almost like, the, I guess this, you know, obviously the same way that Bonham is, is recognizable. It's, it goes well beyond tone. I mean, and his thing was the ergonomics of the kit and being an open player. And, and so leading the fills with his, his left hand or right hand, I forget if he's a lefty anyway. 
it's more complicated than I'm uh, able to. His uh, drums are set up the opposite right. of what they're supposed to be. Right, right. Um, yeah. But, I mean, his, to me, his, his drum fills have so much character and yeah. so much personality. Yeah. Like, you can't hear come together without that, no. without that groove, right? No. I mean, it wouldn't be the thing. You could straighten it out. Da, mm, tst, bap, boom, you know, but how cool is that part? Like, yeah. I feel like that's what he did. He brought parts when it when it when a song needed it. I would never be in a band with somebody who didn't like Ringo Starr. Yeah. That's just I a just, thing. It's a, yeah. So, it's read this form, couple right. things. Yeah, before you come to the audition, <laughs> tell me what you think about Ringo Starr. Because <laughs> I like to be able to turn to the drummer and say, during that part, can you do like a Ringo fill? Right, right. And a drummer that should be in my band knows exactly what that means. Right. And he'll come up with something perfect. Yeah. And it's not like a particular Ringo fell from a right, particular sure. song. Not ripping out of, off a tune. It's, it, but it's, a, it's a an appeal yeah. in the character of Ringo Starr. Right, right. Um, so that's, you know. I mean, you know, I just, I've, I've been here a couple years longer than you, and I've been a fan of your writing, and I... And uh, as I said, I listened to a bunch of your songs today in preparation. Oh, by the way, how did I do? Did I do okay? You did great. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. This is like 120th episode of this podcast. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, I'm a fan of your writing. I think it's really intelligent and articulate. And I find myself reading about shows that I don't personally care for. But I'm interested to see your take because I feel like you deliver it in a way like we share maybe not all of the same musical influences, but I appreciate your approach and how you and how you can relay information about music that maybe I'm not into or maybe you're not into ultimately, who knows, but it's just informative and I find myself learning about new stuff through you. So I appreciate what you do as a writer here in town. And, and I was listening to your tunes and I was like, man, I can hear, you know, obviously some Beatles stuff and some, you know, some cheap trick in there and some kinks and even a little like Eagles of death metal. And I can hear, you know, some, some songs are more humorous than others. And, you know, you, you also creatively musically make interesting records. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That the, the humor is like a thing I really got from the kinks. Mm hmm. You know, because to me, they, they like use humor like to get at the human condition in a way that's like, uh, I want to say bittersweet or darkly. Con like they use mm -hmm. humor not to be goofballs. Right. But they use humor to um, make you, I don't know, it, it, it's an interesting, to me, it's an interesting entryway into the pathos of life because uh -huh. <laughs> right? right. life is really sad right um yeah it, they use it to almost diffuse the, the the how miserable things can be right or yeah yeah they, they do they really do is but, that is that like i feel like that is kind of in a way like british humor it's kind of dry and a, a touch sarcastic but it's like life is terrible let's just have a laugh you know kind of approach yeah there's a gallows humor mm-hmm mm-hmm um, but I think their brand of gallows humor, once they reached a certain point, like their early attempts at like social commentaries were a little mean, like a well-respected man and dedicated follower of fashion. Those are a little mean, but Ray's empathy really starts to come out uh -huh. shortly after that. And huh. I think that combination of empathy with social commentary and humor. Yeah. And yet like a, predilection for the dark side i i, I that's that, an in, that's that's endearing right it, it 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 i don't know normal not normalizes but it it presents these things in a in a palatable way right that, yeah that, that isn't so dark gloom doom and gloom but you know there's i don't know i i have to dig into the kinks i gotta say i don't know a ton about them but is there a a song that you like start here um 
I know all the big ones. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, it, I mean, it, I, I would think that maybe you would want to start with like um, some of their albums, okay. like the Kinks or the Village Green Preservation Society. That's like a really pastoral British folk album, almost. Cool. You know, yeah. it's it's uh, it's not all day and all the night, and right. uh, you really got me. It's, right. And knowing what you're into. I would think, well, you've got this acoustic guitar driven thing with pretty melodies and intelligent lyrics and, you know, all the stuff I know you're into. Mm -hmm. I would start with that mid period kinks. We are the Village Green Preservation Society. God save the duck for the bill and variety. We are the Desperate and Appreciation Society. God save strawberry jam and all the different varieties Preserving the old ways from being abused Protecting the new ways for me and for you What more can we do? Cool. Um, and then they start to get a little more American sounding um, in like the late 60s, early 70s. And you might like some of that stuff a lot too. But I definitely wouldn't start with like their big arena rock comeback albums from the 80s, and I wouldn't start with their early 60s stuff, which was more like a British beat group kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, think, I think once they start writing like real, I don't want to say real songs. I don't, right. I'm, not, I'm not saying right. that You Really Got Me isn't a real song. Right, right. I mean, I wish I could write that real song. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, he just became like, to me, like this real poet of the human condition and I, I think you knowing what you're into would appreciate that yeah yeah um, you know it's not like it, it's it's like grown-up music right <laughs> you know right. what i mean right right um yeah and it's got good melodies so what, kinks with the village green preservation Society. i will check that out for sure um what is the next step for the breakup society um like i said i'm 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 newly committed to trying to get a real release mm -hmm. on that record because I really want to get back in the studio and record some new stuff. Um, we have a lot of new songs and this, this live lineup that we have right now, I'm hearing such good stuff about it. Um, and I really like all the guys in the band and they're really talented. Um, you know, so I, I, there's nothing that captures these guys. These, mm -hmm. these five guys right, have right. not recorded anything. Folks can find the breakup society. And by the way, breakup is one word. Yes. Uh, you can find them on Spotify and do you, website. We don't have a website. I mean, you can find us on Facebook. Yeah. Can, there you go. We have a band camp page. You yeah. Know, but cool. But no, we used to have a website, but I, I was just never really doing anything with it. And, right. And then it was like, I mean, no one, most people aren't doing much with their websites no. anymore. Yeah. You go to YouTube or you go to Instagram and, you know, but, um, I recommend people check it out. Uh, written work uh, on on Facebook as well. 
And uh, I mean, you can AZ Central. AZ Central. AZCentral.com is, yeah. is the Arizona Republic's website. Definitely go there. And, and you, you know, you cover everyone uh, from Beyonce to, you know, the Kinks. And uh, are there any concerts coming up that you're looking forward to? Um, well, you know, Cheap Trick is opening for Rod Stewart on Friday. Are you going? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Where's that? The Federal Theater? No, no, no. No, it's the Footprint Center. Nice. Yeah. So that'll be great. That'll be um, fun. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I, I shared something about that on Facebook and so much hate for Rod Stewart in the comments. Come on, man. Like, he, just let him, let a man do his thing. <laughs> he had a great, great voice. There was a time oh, yeah. when he was like... When he was like really in the zone, yeah, you, he was one of the best rock and roll singers, I think. Yeah, um, and yeah, his music in the '80s got real '80s sounding, but so did most classic rockers' music in the '80s. Of course, they all had. I mean, Don Henley solo stuff in the '80s. I mean, like Boys of Summer, great song, but like he, it got weird. Like that era, that era, uh, songwriter singer. They all had to do. They all had to be contemporary. Yeah, they were. That, they, were they were trying to compete with what the kids were doing, right. and and it didn't always suit them well. Right. right. You know. Right. So like, someone was like, uh, you know, Rod Stewart is like forty years past his prime, and it's like, well, motherfucker, everyone is forty years right. past their prime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, of no. of course he's older now than he was then. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, he's not going to sound like it's 1973, but right. I bet he puts on a great show. I bet it is great. And talk about a diverse show. Like, he can do the crooner stuff. He can do the, you know, Maggie Mae stuff. And, and I bet it's going to be a great show. I mean, he's not touring with with, with some hackers on, on their instruments. No, no. He's going to have a great band. Yeah. And I, Cheap Trick is always so much fun to see. Yeah. So I'm going to have fun watching them. And... uh I'm looking forward to Beyonce, actually. Yeah. That's going to be a great show. I can, I can only imagine what, like, the production value and the costumes and the... She's riding that whatever, like a like a, a horse. I mean, like... It's and and that outfit, holy shit, I was like, damn, girl. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, what's weird, that outfit doesn't look nearly as good on me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't um, know, man. <laughs> Those, your hips don't lie. Uh, <laughs> well, but, Yeah. But thanks for having me. If we were uh, wrapping it up, yeah. Sorry, sorry to, to cut it short. I feel like we could just keep wrapping on and on. But um, I really appreciate your time. I I hope I did an okay job, and and uh, I was really pleasantly surprised that that I was like I I really enjoy the music. So well, thank you. So thank you for your writing, and thank you for the music, and well, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. And hopefully I'll I'll see the Breakup Society live, and and I'll buy you a, I'll buy you a beer after. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Ed. Good talking to you. So the story goes.